その時この棺の蓋を取り去ると我黄金バット一万年の眠りより覚めて戦いを共にせん「ガラスの軌道を完全に変えるんだ」ここに一万年の眠りよりされ戦いを共にせる我は正義のために戦うのに。Okay, so this maniac doing this podcast, can you summarize Golden Bat in 20 to 30 seconds? How about I just do it in one word? Insanity. That's, that's really all you can use. It's just 70 minutes of Japanese superhero insanity. It is, it, it, words cannot convey all the wacky sound effects you're going to hear or the giddy intensity in the voices of the actors playing the hero and the villain. And believe me, an English language dub job could never do this film justice. The hilarity of the visuals. Some of which are, are like on par with like a Commander Cody or a Thunderbirds or Go. And, and just there's this insane exuberance permeating every aspect of this production. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Scott Foy talking about Hajime Sato's 1966 Japanese superhero masterpiece, Ogunbato, also known as Golden Bat. Mr. Foy is a. Okay, first of all, you, 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 wait, 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 wait. You did it wrong. You did it wrong. You, you have to say the Japanese. No, are the you Japanese interrupting my intro? I am, I, am, I am interrupting the intro because、Ugh. you have to say, if, if you're going to say Ogun Bacho, you have to say it the way the characters do in the movie, the way the villains do. Because no one can just say Ogun Bacho. They always have to yell, <laughs> Ogun Bacho! All right. Okay. You know, I'm not cutting any of this out. I'm just going to keep this entire thing. Okay. Rewinding. Ahem. <clears throat> Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Scott Foy talking about Hajime Sato's 1966 Japanese superhero masterpiece, Ogunbato, also known as Golden Bat. Mr. Foy is a returning guest who has written for such websites as Creature Corner, Ain't It Cool News, and Dread Central. He appeared on Dread Central's podcast, Dinner for Fiends, and has had a hand in creating such sci fi original movies as Ghost Shark and Atomic Shark, and he's otherwise known as The Foy Wonder. How's that? No, I'm not, a, I'm not a Japanese superhero. No, hey, I, I, I said it. I did it. You know what? I'm even going to put like a cool audio effect on that. I'm going to make it sound super cool. You'll have, you'll have a pretty awesome sounding intro. And、uh, I'm pretty sure Feeney's going to be pissed about that. Actually, you know what? I'll give Feeney a cool intro when he comes back on, too. Actually, I want both you and Feeney to come back on the show at the same time. I miss talking to both of you as a group. And、uh, we'll call that episode, I don't know, Dinner for Fiends or something. Nobody's using that title anymore, right? <clears throat> anyway, Foy, welcome back to the show. We're going to use the title Dread Waves. <laughs> anyway. So,、okay. I dare you to leave that one in. I'm going to. I will, I'm not editing this episode. <clears throat> whatever, whatever, whatever we happen across, it's just going to stay in. So, <laughs> so Foy,、yeah. tell me, where, where, where does he come from, the Golden Bat? Golden Bat comes from Japan, and it's a movie. Here's the thing you have to understand for those of you listening right now who, if you've never seen or heard of this movie, there's a good reason for that. It has never been released in the United States in, in any form. Not, it's never been dubbed, it's never been subtitled, it's never been brought over. It only bootlegs. And up until about maybe, I don't know, about 15 years ago, all of those bootlegs were only Japanese. Someone finally decided to like,、uh, fan sub it. So, this really is a movie you can only see if you like, have to go out and get a bootleg. Because you're not going to find it any other way, which、it's, is a travesty. It's a fucking crime, man. Like, this is a movie that needs a big special edition Blu ray. You know, I, we, this movie needs to be out there. People need to be talking about it because it's brilliant. I, okay, you know, I, 
I'm already off track, and I apologize. Everyone, I uh, uh, no, no, no. When we last did, uh, we did Werewolf of Woodstock about a year ago, wasn't it for this yep. show? Yeah, absolutely. It was a. Uh, by the way, is this is this the new tradition? Bring foil on for the Thanksgiving turkey edition. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> although, I, although, I, although this I, is not, I don't this know is if no turkey. Golden bad at turkey. <laughs> yeah, this 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 is this is not a turkey. This this is something. This is a glorious masterpiece. Is what this is. But uh, yeah, I I sent you a couple of movies, and one of them was Golden Bat. And I remember when we did that long show, and I started rambling about other movies. I kind of sold you on Golden Bat, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a look at the. I told I was trying to tell you just watch the opening credits. <laughs> so we, we, it's like the wee hours of the morning. I'm actually in bed, and all of a sudden I start getting texts from you like. I'm not going to sleep till I watch all of this. Those opening <laughs> credits were amazing. And then I'm just getting like updates as I'm trying to sleep. As a, for, like this is incredible. Oh my god, I, can't, I I'm going to be so tired tomorrow, and I don't care. Everybody needs to see this. It was honest. Uh, you know, we even talked after the recording, of the Werewolf of Woodstock. After you were telling me, you were telling me about all sorts of movies. Like we had a pretty lengthy conversation. It went to like four in the morning anyway. And then near the end, you just happened to drop this thing about this movie called Golden Bat. And you, okay, so you know what? It, we've already blown past the point where I usually start with the usual question. You know, of all the horror movies you might have chosen, blah blah blah. So I'll just tell folks this. So after that episode we did of Werewolf of Woodstock, you and I were talking about all those movies. You told me about Golden Bat, and it's like four in the morning, and I'm exhausted. And yet what you told me sent me straight home from the podcast studio to popping in that movie at my house and watching it in the wee hours of the night because I needed to see that film after you talked it up, and it did not disappoint. So can you tell folks what you told me? Just make them love it before they've even seen it like you did with me. I don't remember exactly what I said, but how about I start with this? Since I'm sure there's a couple of people go, watch, listening to this right now and going, who don't know about Golden Bat, wondering, why are we talking about a Japanese superhero movie on a horror podcast? <laughs> and it's true. It's not really a horror movie. But let me describe for you who Golden Bat is. First of all, he may be the, one of the first superheroes ever created. He's definitely known as the first Japanese superhero because the character was created back in 1930. He's considered Japan's first superhero, and let's describe what he looks like. He has a skeleton head with a with a Chris Benoit tooth gap, <laughs> and that that bony head, which by the way has no eyes. It's it, it's like it's not even like empty eye sockets. It's like his eye sockets are filled in. It's like how does he see? I mean, we know bats use radar. I mean, sonar, but still, it's like how does he see? How does, does he use echolocation? How does this work with a golden bat? But he has a skeleton head, and then his body, he's wearing a shiny jumpsuit with a high-collared cape combination that would make Gene Simmons green with envy. <laughs> Imagine if, like, Skeletor did a Las Vegas, like, like, stage show. It's like Skeletor, Liberace, and Gene Simmons all wrapped into one. And then he, his weapon of choice is the Baton of Justice, which is this giant marching baton that the ball end he uses to bash and kill enemies. And then the other end of it, he can shoot lasers out of it. And he can fly. And he's seemingly indestructible. And he's immortal. And apparently he's from Atlantis. And he's been sleeping in a coffin for 10,000, 20,000, whatever thousand years, waiting to, uh, waiting to be awoken so that he can save the Earth from a outer space hedge, a cyber hedgehog that is flying through outer space in a giant drywall screw with, with robot eyes that shoots lasers. And he employs three henchmen, one of whom's a werewolf named Jackal, figure that one out. Another of which is a shape-shifting seductress named Piranha. And the third of which is like, I don't know, like... It's hard to describe him. He's just a, an, it's like if Frank Gorshin's Riddler was an alien. And yeah. their plan yeah. is to, yeah, and their plan is to destroy Earth by crashing a planet named Icarus into the Earth, which doesn't make entire, a whole lot of sense because at one point later in the movie, Nazo and his giant drywall screw, the Nazo Tower, as he calls it creatively, are on Earth realizing, oh, God, we're in the path of Icarus. We're also going to die. 
this is not he calls himself Nazo, the ruler of the universe, but you're not really sure he really rules anything because he's not the most forward thinking villain. He's optimistic. He is most definitely not Jigsaw. He has not planned ahead for any of this. And he's easily perturbed. I mean, he literally just starts violently shaking. <laughs> and, and Nazo in the movie, first of all, going back to Golden Bat, the movie's black and white. It's from 1966, but it was still done in black and white. And it looks like a movie from like 1955. And it's beautiful. So it, 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 it's so weird when you look, show this movie to people and they're like, oh, is this made in the 50s? Like, nope, this is from the 60s. It's like, I don't know why it's in black and white. And, you know, really, what's the point of having a character named Golden Bat? If the whole thing, I mean, yeah, oh, his cape is supposed to, it, it, there's also an animated cartoon that you can find episodes of out there that apparently ran in many countries around the world under, uh, oh, God, what was the other, what was the name of it? Fa- it Fantasma? or something like that? Fa- Fa- something, Fantomas. Uh, something, yeah, that's what they called him internationally. Apparently, it was quite popular in Mexico and South America and Australia. And if you can, you can find a couple of English dubbed episodes out there from the Australian run. But, you know, it's like he's got like, you know, a golden head and then like this, you know, red cape and golden body. It's just like, and now here's a black and white movie. But the black and white, I actually think, makes it work. Because I can't even fathom how bad the special effects would have looked in the glorious color. Oh, yeah. There are so, times, I mean, the, the photography in the movie, I mean, it's. It is black and white, but it's also got this great sort of cinemascope look to it at times. And it feels like, I mean, sometimes it feels big. You know, it feels like, uh, I don't know, or at least polished in a way that, say, the old Universal movies did. But then there are times it kind of looks like an episode of the old 60s Zorro show, the Disney show. And then there are times it kind of looks even kind of like an old Coffin Joe movie. You know, it's it's weird, the level of quality that sort of, you know, fluctuates throughout the movie. And, and, but and then, of course, of the charm. weirdest. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the charm is the fact that Nazo, the supreme tyrannical overlord of the universe, looks like a costume that would be used in a children's library production of Wind in the Willows. <laughs> if you like, put like four robo visor eyes and, and gave him like an inspector gadget villain metal claw. That can, and he he's always him. in this perch. Yeah, he's always in this one perch. You never see him from the waist down. It's like Max Rebo. He can just kind of turn <laughs> and move around. And he, he speaks into a microphone that falls from the ceiling like an old-time boxing announcer. <laughs> it, it's All right. So, okay, i got, and, I got to say at this point, if I know my audience even a little bit at this point, there are people listening to this right now who are just like, you know what? Sold. Like, I need to see this movie. But there are also probably people out there just hearing those little bits who are probably, like, on the fence or even maybe kind of like, I don't know, that maybe sounds a little too campy for me, a little too silly. What the hell is this? Those people don't understand the magic. So how would you explain why all of that works? Partially because it is. It's extremely campy, but it doesn't really act like it knows that it's campy. It's not like a Sharknado movie where, you know, like the Sharknado sequels where suddenly they were all completely in on their own joke. It's not like so many of these movies. It's not self-aware. It plays itself straight. It even tries to be horrifying at times. I mean, there's a scene. uh, There's the train. It's like dinner for fiends all over again. Anytime (laughs) I go to record a podcast, here comes a train. I'm leaving that train in. Or, or Or is that the Nazo Tower rising from the ocean? (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it could be either one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the the thing about him is that, uh, God, it's just it's kind of like watching Nazo, this this guy in this obvious, you know, I, 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 it looks like a, almost like a potato stack costume, like just spazzing out. He just the actor inside is violently gyrating, just flailing his limbs and just. Aah! Damn you, Golden Bat! I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn you, Ogon Bato! Because everybody, everybody, they, they always yell, Damn you. Anytime something happens, it's just, Damn you, Golden Bat! Damn you, Nazo! Damn you, Damn you, Train! Damn you is their fallback. You know, it, I mean, it does feel like, you know, you know, it's not really a horror film like you pointed out, but it does feel like there are some horror film elements in it. I mean, obviously like the Wolfman character and the, uh, the, 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 the shape changing uh, enchantress type. And I mean, it does almost play at times like 
You know, a sci-fi flick and a superhero movie and an action film. And, yeah, a campy horror film. But, you know, like you pointed out, like it's campy, but it's not eye-rollingly campy. Well, you know, one thing that truly puts it in the horror, and particularly in the horror category, is the golden bat is a hero with the most maniacal, menacing horror movie laugh you'll ever hear. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, his that's that's his calling card. You know, he's there when it's just, oh, 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 I can't even do it. You can't do it. It's like you have to have like a re, some special sound like, equipment to <laughs> give it like a reverb. <laughs> yes, it's like it, this is the this is the cackle a villain should be making. It. Sorry, it, <clears throat> it would give Vincent Price the willies. <laughs> and then he shows up like, you know, the fabulous Dr. Fibes and starts kicking ass like a Power Ranger on, on crack. <laughs> <laughs> and he does it. You, you need and, to uh, describe it, to listeners right now how he laughs with his arms straight out at his yeah, sides, vibrating. Always, yeah, his, arms, his arms are always extended straight out. He's like holding out his cape. He's got his, you know, his baton of justice. And it's like, it's a, it's like he's taunting the villains. He's taunting the villains, and the villains, of course, you know, Nazo has with him, you know, random henchmen who couldn't shoot the broadside of a barn and apparently think that, you know, the best tactic for warfare is to run straight into enemy fire. So, so you know, and then he has, um, you know, Golden Bat actually befriends a young child because, you know, that seems to also be the way things work in Japan. You know, you know back on, you know, you know, you know he, uh, a girl named Akira. Oh, we should actually mention real quick. Sonny Chiba is in this movie. And how badass ever is to... the movie that Sonny Chiba is in it, and he is not the most badass thing in said movie? Because Sonny Chiba, I don't think he throws a single kick in the whole movie. It's like his <laughs> least action. If you, if you just want to see Sonny Chiba play a scientist rocking a turtleneck sweater, this is the movie for you. But if you want to see him kick some ass, you're not going to see that. He's a supporting, he's a minor supporting character. The, the, the main heroes are him. There's an American, sci- an old white man scientist whose granddaughter is Japanese. And her, I think her name was Akira. And that's the one who actually uh, Golden Bat befriends and gives her a bat brooch that she wears <laughs> and can take it off and like toss it in the air. And it turns into a, like a real, like a bat on a string toy. Well, you got to tell and listeners the, how that, she revives him. Oh, oh okay, let, let me just describe it. I actually have a, a little note here. Um, uh, Teenager Akira is using his telescope to look to a, a large round object heading in the general direction of the Earth. He says its name is Icarus. You no doubt learned about planet Icarus in science class, correct? Because clearly the, edu- the Asian education system is so vastly superior, they even know about planets the rest of us don't. <laughs> Which leads into Dr. Yamatoni, played by Sonny Chiba, and a, a group that calls themselves, uh, what, what do they call themselves again? It's like a, uh, this science team... Uh, the Pearl Research Laboratory, and they specialize in, like, investigating unknown. They're, they're like, basically the Japanese X-Files. And they all wear the same, like, matching turtleneck sweaters, except for Dr. Yamatoni. I'm sorry, except for um, the, the white scientist, Dr. Pearl. And, and uh, they've created something called the Super Destruction Beam Cannon with the power of 1,000 hydrogen bombs. It is the only existing pl- uh, weapon on the planet powerful enough to blow up the, run- the runaway planet that is Icarus. The only problem is they don't have a lens for it, which seems like a major design oversight. <laughs> it kind of it, it reminds me of like the Ant-Man movie where it's like, check out this incredible, amazing, state-of-the-art, tiny armor we've invented with all these weapons, a, a micro-sized weapon system. Now, if only we could figure out a way to shrink someone down into it. And it's like... Uh, putting the cart before the horse there, aren't you? <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing. So they need it. They need it. And this, and for reasons, you know, you can't even really just get into like trying to explain why things happen in this movie, because a lot of times it just happens. Like, for example, here comes Nazo here. He is sending this planet to, it's going to destroy the earth in three days. Yet somehow blows the moon in half with three days to go. And it's like, how slow is it going? And you know, really, you just blew the uh, the you, you just turned the moon into a permanent crescent moon. So I'm thinking that that's going to really screw with the weather and the oceans. So Japan's probably history anyway. But then uh, Atlantis begins rising from the ocean, and you kind of have to wonder why did why did Atlantis ever sink? Because it's obviously made of styrofoam; it should have floated. <laughs> so they they all hop into so the science team 
hop into their flying cars and go land on Atlantis right as Nazo arrives with his giant drywall, I mean, sorry, his giant drywall sprue and his, you know, faceless henchman for a laser shootout. And then they end up inside of this secret chamber inside of this sort of tomb. And, and it's just like they, they, they uh, uh, Akira. And by the way, they brought a, a small girl with them on this mission. Now, is she Akira like that, or that, that Emily? Makes, Oh, it's Emily. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. There's, there's, there's so many characters in this movie. It's like, wait, who are you again? No, hey, it's cool. It's like you know, <laughs> yeah. It's like you know who they are, but you just like you don't remember exactly who they are. Yeah, the little girl Emily. Yeah, Japanese girl, and she leads them into this underground temple. And of course, the men immediately begin ripping stone blocks out of the wall, which is always a good idea with a, with an ancient temple of unknown origin inside a location that's already proven to be geologically unstable and is collapsing <laughs> around you as is. <laughs> And as they pull out rocks, all of a sudden, a, a, a giant sarcophagus just slides out like a gumball out of a gumball machine. <laughs> and, and they find an inscription on it. And this is, this is the actual inscription translated into English. 10,000 years from now, a crisis will surely fall upon human beings. Remove the lid of this coffin, and I, the golden bat, shall awake from the sleep of 10,000 years and fight for you. Put a drop of water on my chest. <laughs> now, first of all, how did they know? <laughs> uh, again, it's like how 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 were the how, how did the people of Atlantis know this was going to be necessary? Did they did they have some past history with Mister Nazo? Did, did they uh, did they have some you know it's like yeah it's like you just got to go with it. So so now they have a problem though. The the bad guys henchmen are like breaking in, and they have no water because. For some reason, they haven't noticed yet that there's a waterfall right behind them. <laughs> so they're scrambling and looking for water. At one point, I was like, why don't they just try spitting on it? That's wet. Maybe well, that'll wake it up. I think in the anime, actually, like the Emily character like cries on his chest or something. Like when, uh, I don't know, all the, 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 the science team accompanying her are like getting killed by the villains. But uh, but yeah, it's I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, much yeah. prefer the movies. That, that's what... <laughs> Yes, Japanese children's movies where people are just horribly slaughtered. <laughs> and, and we should mention that this young girl, Emily, who's like, how old would you say that girl is in the movie? 11, 12? Yeah, if even that old. There's a scene later on in the movie where the uh, the wolfman jackal guy breaks into like the, the room where she's with her grandfather and like just grabs the grandfather and when she yells at him he turns around and he just full force bitch slaps this little child to the ground it's the hardest i've Something ever seen a would... kid belted in a movie before by a friggin' werewolf no less i, I don't think any i don't think uh mommy dearest slapped her kid that hard well not only that she gets I mean, belted like... by a werewolf she gets choked out by scarface you know the the the, the guy with like egg yes, on his yes, face yeah I was, gonna, I, was gonna, I was gonna say yeah yeah i was gonna say later on someone tries to strangle a small child to death it's just, it's like, what the hell is wrong with the Japanese? And then, hey, the Wolfman shows yeah, really? after that, too. There is a lot of child abuse in this film. I, I was told a story. I don't know for sure that this is true, but if it is true, it explains a lot. I remember years, about like over a decade, back when the asylum was making movies like Snakes on a Train. Yeah. And I remember like there was like a series of movies that they made at that time that I reviewed. It's like, it's like wow, each one of these movies, a kid got killed. It's like, that's pretty hardcore. You don't see that kind of stuff happening even like, you know, big budget Hollywood horror movies. And someone told me that like they had a Japanese producer and that was something he insisted on at the time to invest in the movies. Like, I want at least one scene where a child dies. I'm like, okay. Hell? <laughs> Japan's an interesting country. I, I, uh, I mean, they, they sure do make a damn fine superhero movie though. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, she puts a few drops on a golden bat's chest, and then that tiny bat thing appears and flaps, and like it like lands on her and becomes a brooch, and then golden bat literally just rises up like he's being pulled on strings with his arms outstretched, cackling, and without even skipping a beat, immediately just starts whooping ass on the bad guys. His Rex's erection plays uh, out like a luchador trying to replicate Nosferatu rising like straight up out of his tomb. It, you know, it does. There is an element of this whole thing that does remind you of like one of those old Santo movies. Yes, it's it, it's almost yes. It's like if, if Santo and and like some and Power Rangers had some sort of weird demented love child. I think that's absolutely what the movie is. I don't think I'd ever considered that before, but yeah, you're you're entirely right. And yet, 
especially, especially with the black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, oh my God. Could you imagine? I mean, if only back then they cared about, you know, shared universes as much as, you know, studios do now. Could you imagine Golden Bat and Santo teaming up together to fight Vampire The Man and the Golden the man in the golden, the golden bat, and the man in the silver mask together at last to fight the vampire women, and it's I presume I don't know the Aztec mummy, the robot, and and then there's there's Nazo in his little revolving chair, screaming at doors with like hypnosis symbols on them. Vampire it should also be pointed out be yeah. from Atlantis, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> it should be pointed out that golden golden bat can't just doesn't just beat up the bad guys. He can single-handedly fight entire vehicles. Nazo has this giant indestructible tower which is going to conquer the world, and there's Golden Bat with his baton of justice shooting lasers and knocking out windows. <laughs> Nazo starts to freak out at one point because it's like he's thinking about all that window damage he now has to repair. And so his, his plan to get away from Golden Bat is to then submerge the tower underwater, and it's like, wait a minute. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the water come flooding in through the tower? I mean, through the windows? But, you know, we, we don't follow that kind of logic in this movie. Holy shit. Is there a tra- is that the same train? Does the train nope, circle your house? Tra- Did the uh, previous no, train, train kick train it into now. reverse just to fuck this podcast up anymore? Because that's amazing. I, I, and I, I applaud them. I told you. It's, I, I told you. It's like they, they know. It's like. In the time since we started, even before we started recording, this is what the fourth train. <laughs> like, there's been no trains before all evening, and now here comes another one. All right, you know what it reminds me of that sound? I don't know. This segues as subtle as a chainsaw, but we talked about Golden Bat's laugh. You know, he sounds kind of like the shadow in a way. He just sort of belts out this laughter whenever he, uh, you know, whenever he appears for the first time. But even more impressive than that is when Golden Bat takes flight. Do you want to try and describe to people what that sounds like, the sound that he makes when he flies? I don't think... I'm not even sure there is a sound to describe it. It's... It's, just, <laughs> it's like, it, it's, like it's, it's its own thing. It's like they said to themselves, we need a really unique sound for what it is when this... And it's just a guy on strings in front of, like, a green screen clearly not on balance just kind of like wobbling like kind of like the old japanese starman movies if you remember those oh yeah which is another thing golden bat kind of invokes and, and he just yeah and he shoots these lasers from his baton even while he's flying and he can take out like, like flying submarines because there's one of those in this movie because the japanese freaking love flying submarines <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wish, maybe I could cut in like an audio clip of the sound he makes when he takes flight because I think it's the most incredible thing. Like I, I just want to think that Superman just holds that grunt in every time he takes off, you know? Well, that's kind of a traditional Japanese superhero thing as well. It's like every time, you know, Ultraman is always making a, a noise that sounds like a robot that's having a really hard, difficult bowel movement. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> You really think of it? If you, if you go, oh, it's like, okay, Ultraman, you feeling okay there? Did you just pass a stone? <laughs> it's supposed to be like some big, you know, alien-sounding hi-ya, but it just oh, and the, and Golden Bat has his own version. Which and, you know, and then he announces himself, "I am Golden Bat, Keeper of Justice." And it's like, okay, I'm not really sure what justice has to do with like saving the world from like you know genocide. <laughs> it's not really crime fighting. I mean, if that's not justice, Foy, then then what is? Yeah, really? I guess so. I mean, yeah. what the hell is the Justice League going to do when their movie comes out? I mean, you know, they're just going to be saving the world from I don't know some portal that opens in the fucking sky, probably. But actually, well, I believe they're fighting uh, flying alien insects, and I guarantee you, none of it will be as fun as watching Golden Bat shove a baton into a werewolf's scrotum and kill him <laughs> because that happens in this movie jackal takes it jack jackal takes the baton of justice right to the balls he makes a <laughs> face and that's the last you see of him so i presumably he was killed the other one i believe his name is keloid uh keloid is the one who's like frank gorshin's riddler on crack he, he cackles he makes goopy faces He's always like doing that kind of like that Frank Gorshin sort of like crouched down, marching in place kind of run. And 
and he ends up taking uh, the baton of justice straight to the uh, the bowels, and that he makes it like, Ooh, and that's the last you ever see of him. <laughs> and then, you know, Piranha, she does everything she's supposed to do, but the one time she actually screws something up, for no reason, Nazo just disintegrates her. <laughs> like, like, well, that, that don't help you. He's that doesn't help you at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, something needs to be mentioned here. The last time we saw a movie about a giant planetoid on a doomsday course with Earth was the fifth element. So, uh, you know, about halfway through this movie, you could imagine my concern that the movie might conclude with Golden Bat and young Emily having to do it in order to save the world. Oh, yeah. Which I know sounds really, re- it sounds really gross, but this is Japan we're talking about. Uh, the, so, Victor but, Salva but cannot helm the reboot of Golden Bat, sir. I won't allow it. No, no, no. This is, this, we're in Polanski territory here. Yeah, well, but, yeah, true. Neither can he, for that matter. But, yes. Yeah. But yeah, so but you know, a- after Golden Bat appears, this is when Nazo decides to bring in his three henchmen, and he wants that beam cannon to help him. I, it's a little confusing. Like, does he want the beam cannon because that's the only thing that can stop him, or does he want the beam cannon because he, that's the thing he needs to do what he's already trying to do? It's never entirely clear. I think the only answer is just yes. like it. Yes, just like it, it turns out to be. We forgot to mention, like when Golden Bat wakes up. He actually has this giant diamond in his hand, which coincidentally is the perfect lens for the beam cannon. <laughs> but but, but so, so now the good news is the good guys get the beam cannon. I mean, they get the lens for the beam cannon, but Nazo's special agents steal the actual beam cannon. So now it's Golden Bat having to not just stop Nazo and you know before you know Icarus hits you know, Earth and destroys it, but he has to get the beam cannon back, which really it's like. Okay, I'm confused and I'm thoroughly entertained, and now I have a you know a, a Japanese Liberace lookalike with a half scarred face and <laughs> glitter in his hair running around cackling while throwing uh, people off the side of Nazo Tower, and they and it looks like action figures made of matchsticks being thrown off of a model kit, and it's awesome in every possible way. You got you know you know this you know werewolf that looks like Eddie Munster all grown up in a fine Ed Wood and Angora sweater, and he's like strangling children. He's slapping, he's bitch slapping young girls, and 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 driving an underwater flying submarine, and then you have the shape shifting you know woman uh, who uh, takes on someone else's form and then tries and then has to crack a safe. She's literally trying to crack a safe like a, like a cat burglar even though she's from outer space, and you would think, just shoot it with a damn laser beam or something. Where, where are all your high-tech gadgets? You're from outer, you have a flying submarine, but a safe confuses you. So I don't ever want to hear anybody complain about the movie Signs ever again. And then uh, 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 Dr. Pearl gets kidnapped, and they decide to put him in a torture device, to, like electrocute him to like get him to talk and at one point they overdo it and like smoke just kind of blows out of his neck and then he just passes out and it's like okay now we've murdered somebody but he or is he dead we're not really sure we have people uh, uh piranha she starts taking how many different people does she take the form of three four and it, it, it never seems to accomplish huh yeah and, and then and everybody falls for it every single time Hey, what are you doing here? Completely nonsensical answer. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> continue into our continue into our top secret lair, even though we know that there's like shape shifting agents trying to sneak in. I mean, the Pearl Science team. Maybe they're not the brightest bunch, but um, I, I the, but and yet, you know, all of those things are things that I would call out in bad movies. But this is most certainly not a bad movie, even though you can Jap- pick it apart Jap- pretty easily, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, still... the Japanese have a word that sums this movie up: wabi sabi. It's about. It means basically to behold the beauty in that which is imperfect, and this movie is beautifully imperfect in every conceivable way. It is sixty-nine, sixty-eight minutes, and it's it's almost nonstop lunacy. You've got you know heroes in turtleneck sweaters fighting werewolves in angora sweaters. You have evil min. You have science patrol people and in, in, in flying cars. You have flying submarines. You have a, a skeleton in a Liberace cape shooting laser beams and cackling <laughs> like Vincent Price on acid. 
you have a guy in a paper sack animal robot costume commanding the universe and shooting claws at people and uh, just like oh, just having hyperventilating screaming fits at his and uh, I, I feel like if Nazo had made it through this whole thing, he would have been great to be like a like some sort of like TV talk show pundit. <laughs> he's, he's got that kind of attitude. He'd be a Trump. I, I could see the the. He could be uh, the Onazo factor. You know, I could see something like that. He could just be just just on TV, just foaming at the mouth, screaming about, you know, liberals, Trump, whatever, the same way he goes on about Golden Bat. <laughs> There'd and be a whole the, lot you know, of the, damn you and, liberals and the, on that show. And, and, the, and the finale of the movie is amazing because Golden Bat finally confronts Nazo and the fight lasts, what, five seconds? If. If that long? It's basically Nazo, you know, Nazo shoots a couple beams. He, he can shoot these spiral beams from one of his robot eyes. Every, and the Nazo Tower also shoots, like, spiral beams. We don't see enough of that anymore. You don't see spiral <laughs> death beams in Star Wars movies. And you should. You, you, don't, you don't see... Yeah, you, it's, it's the kind of old-school technology you just don't see in sci-fi movies anymore. <laughs> and, and then he, you know, he, he, uh, and also, we, it also needs to be mentioned that whenever Golden Bat goes into action, he has his own. What I, you talk about the sound effects from him flying. How about the, uh, his, his baton of justice whacking theme music? <laughs> he has his own little special <laughs> march music that kicks in every time he goes around like the world's most badass, scary looking majorette beating the crap out of these guys with his marching band baton. Well, and it's the theme music from the opening of the film, which accompanied the theme song. And I think you should probably point that out because that's one of the things that you sold me on the movie uh, straight away was the fact that the movie opens with the title character dancing in silhouette to his own theme song. Yes. And it's incredible. It's one, again, it's one of the – actually, I, I think you can actually find that on YouTube. I think the opening credits are actually on YouTube, and that alone should sell you because – yeah, it, he, it, it's his shadowy silhouette. He's not really dancing. He's kind of like doing like those Power Ranger type poses where he's constantly like slinging his arms and taking a, you know, a martial arts form. While this song that's in Japanese is just... I saw dancing. I it, saw that it, guy it, having fun, man. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, and... and yeah, and he basically just throws his baton one time and pales Nazo in the head. And you can even see, like, the way the scene is done, even Golden Bat's kind of confused, like, wait, that's it? <laughs> that, that's all it took? It's like, I, I, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, that can't be how he kills him. Clearly, Nazo is coming back in something. It's like, no, that, that was it. And, and apparently, if you, if you stab Nazo in the head, actually, you know what's even better? When he hits him in the head because of the what I keep calling like the cheap potato sack costume, it really looks like he stabbed a pillow the way it indents. It's like, he, this was clearly just a pillow that they impaled with the baton because it just indents in a completely, you know, Either that unnatural or way. Was only ever all stuffing. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what? He was, it was his head. It was probably all memory foam. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I and, and, and yet, then, you, you know, know all it, of these things, as silly as it all sounds, I got to say, like at six or seven a.m. in the morning, I just finished this movie, having texted you the entire time about how amazing it was. You know, otherwise barely pulling my eyes from the screen. And after seeing it, I got to tell you, like I, I rewatched that movie almost straight away. Like later that day, after yeah, I, I, I woke back up. I, I've I showed seen it this to movie. friends. I I mm -hmm. became obsessed and bought the collection of should say this you mentioned that uh, Golden Bat was based upon you know what's thought to be the first Japanese superhero and maybe one of the first superheroes ever because he predates practically every other superhero like Superman and Batman and he appeared in these stories called um, Kamishibai which was a type of paper theater which involves sort of a you know kind of like a narrator who would travel from town to town with illustrations you know he would display as he would tell these tales. And, you know, Golden Bat eventually moved on to uh, manga and an anime and a few movies, you know, including this one. Um, but and you can I even find you so can even find on you can, you can find on YouTube. There's even opening credits for a uh, apparently they were going to revive it back around 2000 and it didn't happen. And it, it was too amazing. bad because that opening credit, it looked really good. I was checking. I was looking that stuff up so obsessed 
that I become with this movie, like I was trying to find translated episodes of the old anime, and I found that opening for like the the anime reboot, and I bought a collection of Kamishibai, like in hardcover from Amazon. You know, oh, I, wow. I even down to writing like a fanfic treatment of what I'd want a reboot to be. I got a little obsessed with this movie. So great is it, and it kills every, me. Because... Every every person every uh, I say every person I've ever shown this movie to has loved it. It's I remember a, a, a friend really of mine. Weird. I sent him a copy of it, and then like when he finally watched it, I just like have a voicemail from him, just like thanking me. It's like <laughs> this is so amazing. I was told that uh, uh, quite a few. It, it got passed around L.A. by one person who I sent it to. That it just became this underground thing. That's like you got to see this. <laughs> I, I I would love to think somebody that, you know, somebody needs to get a copy of this movie. You know, you know what it is? Somebody needs to get a copy of this movie into the hands of Guillermo del Toro. Oh my God, he would make. I don't the know most if he knows about beautiful this. looking. I mean, it kind of falls into his wheelhouse. He could do like the whole magical realism thing. Like, could you imagine how gorgeous his version of Golden Bat would look? Emily, you know, a young child is the hero of the film who befriends the creature that is Golden Bat. I mean, it seems tailor made for him. Well, even if he didn't like do anything with it, I, mean, I bet he could be the guy who got it released on DVD. I mean, there, there's no excuse for this movie to not be brought to the U.S. Well, we need this so now more than ever. Hard to get a hold of, and not only that, as hard as this movie is to get a hold of, there are apparently other Golden Bat movies that are damn near impossible to find. You know, it's even harder to find than this I movie. Am, I, I just it stuns me well, that I'm we about, have those I, I, and I'm we about, have an anime and. But yet there are no sequels. There should have been sequels. There should have been reboots, no, man. They, they, I want action figures. I want comic books, damn it. Like, this character deserves I, to be I, widely I, known throughout the world. I actually have a copy of the, the South Korean uh, Golden Bat movie they made. <gasps> but it's it's not that good, to be quite honest, unfortunately. But it's it, it, It's Bat. nowhere near on the left. It's not, it, and it, the, it's not subtitled or anything, but even then it's like, eh, this, this, this isn't quite... It, it's a little more of a comedic take on Golden Bat, yeah. but can uh, can I? Can yeah, I... yeah. There's something wrong in the world where there are more things you can find on the Japanese superhero Rape Man in the U.S. than there are Golden Bats. Wait, what? Uh, oh God. Yeah, there, I, I'm just going to talk about it very, very briefly. Please. Yeah, you want to talk about like again, like what's wrong with Japan? A superhero named Rape Man who is a guy who dresses up like a Batman knockoff and punishes evil women by violently raping them as the ultimate punishment. This is a superhero. And, and one time I made the mistake a long time ago of actually like, you know what, I, 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 I'm just morbidly curious. curious. So I, I picked up one of the movies at a, a convention and watched it. And after it was over, it's like, you know, I knew it was going to be sleazy, but Jesus Christ. I, I need a shower. It's like, I, I just need to go burn this thing. It's like, this this thing is so bad, even Harvey Weinstein would be like, whoa, hold on a second, that's just too much. Especially because, like, as as screwed up as the logic is, there is some logic to, like, this is the ultimate way to, like, punish and degrade a woman. Yet, all the sex scenes, these women are acting like, this is the best sex they've ever had. And it's like, okay, this is like, I, I, I'm done, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. Can we just go back to Golden Bat? <laughs> yeah. Japan. So anyway, Golden Bat question. is fantastic. <laughs> I, I adore every... I And plus, the South Korean Golden Bats. Again, so obsessed am I with Golden Bat. I, what the fuck did you just now tell me? What the... I, that's a Wait. movie that exists? Actually, that's a series of movies. No, it's like it's like yeah, yes. Apparently, there's you know not just like the modern rape man movies. There's also like you know the the rape man set during the Shinto period, where he basically is raping evil geishas and samurai women. It's just like what the fuck does this stuff exist for? Apparently, it's also an extremely popular comic book. It was even once it's a comic book. It's a manga. Yes, yes. And it was even once referenced on an episode of Law and Order when they were discussing a rape trial. <laughs> and I bet you there were people at home thinking, like, well, that can't possibly be real. They made that up for the show. Nope, it's real. I, I, I had a, a guy I knew online who told me one time about, you know, Japan. It's like, 
there's nothing unusual about sitting on the subway and seeing like businessmen in full like suits going into work and just sitting there reading rape bondage and manga right there out in the open on the subway. I, uh, um, perhaps you'd like to go over there and find one of those, uh, vending machines that, uh, perhaps I fucking wouldn't use, use, used girls panties. What? They, yep. You can find a video of that on YouTube. I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <clears throat> it's all gone into an ugly way. Can, can we, can we go back to talking about awesome somewhere. superhero movies, please? Well, unless you want to talk about tentacle rape, another fun thing from Japan. No, let's just talk about the good stuff from Japan. Like, yeah. like steakhouses and golden bat. Anyway, well, let's talk about Golden actually, Bat's you know availability. What? Why is well, this hold, movie... Hold on, hold on, we have to, we have, we have, there, there's one thing we got to talk about, the ending of the movie. Okay, as long as there are no tentacles or can, rapey superheroes. No, no, no. At the end of the movie, after you know, Golden Bat has saved the world, he just starts flying off. And somehow they've already built a statue monument in his honor in about, <laughs> what, 24 hours? If even that much? <laughs> And, you know, just like an old Gamera movie, it's like the young girl, the young child running down the beach. Bye! Bye, Golden Dad! Waving <laughs> as he's flying away. But here's a question for you. Where is he flying to? Because at this point, Atlantis has already resubmerged. Where is he going? Yeah, I, that's that's the where, question. Where? I mean, we, we have to imagine he's off to other adventures, but does he even really know where he's off to? Or does he just need to get away from the people that he went through hell for? Well, what I love is when he when he... As soon as he takes down Inazo and the tower, I guess he just picked up that giant beam cannon himself. I mean, this thing's really big. I mean, it's like like a like a like an old tiny like a telescope, like but not like a, like a like a big telescope. It looks like Godzilla's blackhead remover, and he just like puts it on the ground right next to the scientists on the ground and goes, "Here's your beam cannon," as if it would be anything else. And then they immediately just. And then they immediately just put that diamond lens thing in it and then aim it at the sky and somehow hit a perfect shot to take out Icarus. And like, okay, we're saved. And it's just like, um, everything about this movie is just insane in the best way possible. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know why. Do you have any idea as to why it hasn't made it here? I wonder how many other amazing little gems are out there from throughout the years that we have no idea they even exist. And it pains me to think about all the movies that I know I would love or, you know, that might be among my favorite movies. And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing in a way, you know, I, I gotten to the point as a collector and movie viewer there for a while where it felt like there, there were going to be no more major discoveries in a way, at least so far as movies that already existed. And then you send me a bunch of stuff that isn't available otherwise. And I realize there is so much more out there that people are not seeing than the likes that are resurrected by, you know, Scream Factory or Arrow or any number of other places. And I, but why, why, why no Golden Bat? Why is that kept from here? And you mentioned that people can actually watch a clip on YouTube. But weirdly enough, even though there are loads of movies that are on YouTube that probably shouldn't be, that there are probably copyright issues with. I mean, didn't you mention once that Golden Bat cannot be uploaded anywhere without it immediately being taken down. So what is it about this movie that's being, why is it being kept from us I, audiences? I, I, I actually, I actually like uh, made like a little like three minute montage of the movie and put it up on YouTube and it was there for a couple of months. And then the uh, parent company like hit me with a copyright thing and like, okay, I'm not messing with them again. <laughs> uh, I, I, maybe, maybe it might've been, the, the Japanese are very protective of their, uh, their, their copyright stuff. I mean, don't even try uploading anything Ultraman because it's like it's almost like built into uh, built into YouTube. It's like, oh, do we recognize those Ultraman sound effects or music? Well, this thing's going down even before it goes up. <laughs> they're, they're very, they're very, they're very particular about it. But and then you, but then there's other stuff you could. I mean, YouTube. It's like it's amazing the stuff that's just uploaded there now. It's like, really, you can get away with that now. But in some cases, it's almost like. That's the only way you're ever going to see this stuff. And I'm not even just talking about something like Golden Bat, which you, you can go to Japan and you can buy it. on. It, it's on DVD in Japan. I mean, you can find this stuff over there. But, I mean, how many, like, you know, 
old TV movies from like the, the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s. You're like stuff that's never been, some of which have never been put on VHS, let alone DVD or Blu-ray. Like some of the stuff, it's like old, some of these old TV shows, they're like this is the only place you're ever going to find it is through the uh, gray market, unfortunately. I'm just amazed. Like I, I, it pains of, me to think of how many amazing TV movies were probably made that we'll never have any idea ever existed. Like, uh, you know, I, the last episode, you know did, what, The it, Werewolf of Woodstock, that movie is a gem. Yeah. It's a blast. And even something like, I mean, obviously the only reason we know about it is because it's a sequel to, you know, one of the most beloved horror movies of all time. But I recently, for the first time, watched uh, Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. And mm-hmm. you know what? Th- that movie's biggest flaw is the fact that it's a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. It's a sequel to a masterpiece. That is the only flaw with that movie, which is otherwise a lot of fucking fun. That movie is a blast, and it's, it, it, again, it just pains me to think, like, you know, how many, how many movies aired throughout the 70s? How many great horror films? How many great movies, period, that were made specifically for TV that will never be ported over onto DVD or Blu-ray? Yeah, like uh, over the Halloween season, I was uh, mentioning some movies on my Twitter feed that like, you know, obscure films that, that, you know, that are worth a look, you know, not the usual suspects of movies that people always name around Halloween time. And someone actually asked me about one called Curse of the Black Widow, which had even escaped me. And, and, you know, I finally I I ended up finding it on YouTube of all places. It was a TV movie from the late 70s by Dan Curtis. And the whole thing plays like a lost episode of Kolchak the Night Stalker. It's about a woman who uh, who has a curse that causes her, whenever there's a full moon, to turn into a giant black widow spider and feed on some on on, on uh, men, and she has like a red mark on her abdomen. And you can watch this movie and tell, like you know, it, it's like 70, 70, 75 minutes long, but it feels like it was a script for an episode of Kolchak that they just basically never got around to making, and then they like added like you know an extra thirty minutes worth of uh, honestly filler because it's really too long. But it's like it plays exactly like a Kolchak episode, just minus the uh, Kolchak or his wit. And this is Dan Curtis of Dark Shadows saying Dan Curtis? Yeah, the guy, same guy who helped create uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah. I need same to guy see who this. did. Yeah. And you it's, say yeah, it's on YouTube? It's, I just say right now. It's okay. on YouTube. It stars like Donna, Donna Mills, um, uh, Vic Morrow. I mean, it's got some name actors in it. So, but yeah, I think it was an it, like it was that. an AB and it, yeah, an ABC Friday Night Movie of the Week. How many of those like, you know, will we the... never know about until somebody points them out? And you know, maybe that will keep the maybe that's the next level for you know a certain type of fan to continue being a treasure hunter, trying to find stuff like that. And I, I got to say, that's what I've always appreciated about you—the fact that you. I don't know you. You you seem to be a guy who thrives on sort of finding and rescuing forgotten gems like that and letting people know about them. And I got to say, I, for one, really appreciate that. Well, the, the only problem is to find the gems, you also have to wade through an incredible amount of shit. <laughs> I, 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 was actually, I, I actually found my old archives for, all, for all, almost every movie I reviewed for Dread Central from when I started first reviewing for them back when they were in the Creature Corner days up until like, you know, about 2013, 15, in this archive. And I just go into it. It's like you know, I don't remember most much of anything about any of these movies. But it's like, yep, that was a half star. That was no stars. That was a fuck this movie. <laughs> it's like just because because that was a that was a <clears throat> that was not a golden age during that time period. That that early to mid to late there was like a horror boom in the direct to video market. But it was all of these like do it yourself micro budget movies that really and truly never should have left the filmmaker's house. So many back when they were just putting anything that was horror related, no matter how bad it was, and I would end up looking, I would end up watching all these things because I'm like, I'm looking for the good ones, and I found so few. <laughs> well, hey, I the ones you found though, I mean, it's got to make it worth it to some extent, right? Like, how many, yeah, how many, how many bad movies, how many of those movies that you reviewed and gave like a half a star, like uh, Golden Bat is worth how many of those, would you say? Wow, that Golden Bat's five stars minimum. <laughs> In fact, you might have to you might have to give it a six star. Yeah, but yeah, you find those occasionally the ones that are actually like you know worthwhile. The Yeti Giant of the 20th Century, which I'm sure will be a subject of another show one day. Uh, another one I recently just I, I came across 
that somehow it eluded me before a long time is a very low budget sci-fi. It's it's not good by any stretch of the, and not even like golden bat good. It's just like, but it's so, it has a charm to it. It's called game of survival. And it's like, if you, 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 you took Highlander, the running man and just like smashed them together. Like, and I mean, like, like you, like you put them in a garbage can and then jumped on top of it to make it all fit. It's like, it has like, like guys, aliens that talk like New York mobsters have sent uh, captured warriors from across the universe to earth and are forcing them to play a deadly game of hot potato where they have like a couple of days to run around and find this spiky metal ball. And whoever has the ball at the end of the three days gets their freedom. But in the meantime, you can kill whoever has the ball and whoever else gets in their way. And the acting is horrendous. All of the actors look like they're escapees from a, from the world wrestling federation circa 1987. I mean, there's like a caveman with a giant club. There's, there's one guy who all he does is just grunt. And, and there's a little, a little Asian punk rocker guy who I'm going to have to send you that one. That might be another episode. That would, maybe that'll be next year's Thanksgiving episode. And this is, Cause it's definitely a game, of it's a game of survival. It's a very low rent. I believe the same people also made another one called so. alien private eye. <laughs> so, I love it. All right. Well, hey, sir, I think we've just about reached our time. Can I ask, before we go, do you have any final thoughts on Golden Bat? Golden Bat, damn you. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else you got to say besides that. Actually, you know what? That would be the perfect place to put the clip of just Golden Bat cackling. <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. You might things, actually when, when, that. when I make... When I made that clip for YouTube, one of the things I did was I took every scene of Golden Bat cackling. And it was like, here's a short clip from the movie. Here's Golden Bat cackling, a short clip from the movie. Golden Bat cackling, a short clip from the movie. Golden Bat cackling. Because <laughs> he does it so often. Every time he shows up, he cackles. And it's every- always awesome. Yeah, yeah. The bad guys are shooting him with laser beams. He's not even, like, reacting to it. He's just standing there with his arms stretched out, cackling like it tickles. It's like that's one thing that normally I hate movies where the hero is just completely impervious to everything, shows no vulnerability. Because there's one, uh, it was famous on on, uh, MST3K, Prince of Space, where where Prince of Space is just so impervious to everything. By the end of the movie, I felt bad for the villain. I was just like, God. I, I kind of hope he actually wins. I hope he kills Princess Space and those annoying Japanese kids because everything just keeps, nothing works out for him. And it was much the same with Golden there's, there's Bat. A, I mean, maybe a, deep down we should have felt a little bad for Natsu, the, the, the pillow monster. Yeah, you'd feel real bad for him, but I mean, he's he's so spastic. It's like he, he, he has violent seizure rages. It's just so wonderful. Love it. So... Maybe one, maybe one day, Golden Bat will actually make its way to the U.S. Because this is the kind of thing that you know, I, I could see people showing up for, like a, a revival screening, or just people who don't even know what they're in for. This is the kind of thing you pull off a secret screening of at something like the New Beverly in Los Angeles, and like, hey, what are we here to see? And then it turns out it's Golden Bat, and you're like, what is this? And then you're like, why have I never heard of this before? I, I you know, I gotta I've say one thing to, about it, like the, the selfish part of me. Like, okay, like, I part of me wants that for the movie because it deserves it. I want the the, 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 the anniversary screenings on 35 millimeter at, you know, certain, uh, you know, smaller theaters. I want, like, a big special edition multi-disc Blu-ray of the movie. I want loads of people to see it. And yet, when you sent that movie to me on this little burned disc and I watched it at, like, 6 a.m. and then I watched it again the next day, I knew that the very next thing that I wanted to do was get a group of buddies together, buy some pizza, get some beer, and just say, you've got to see this. You know, I love the idea, admittedly, of just this movie reaching every potential audience member, every potential person who will love it, just one person at a time. (laughs) Almost like a viral marketing underground movie. Yes, 
Absolutely. I, I think Let it's it, fitting. Yes. <laughs> yes. The legend of Golden Bat. Seek it out if you can. All right. Well, sir, hey, thank you so much for being back on the show and for keeping movies like this alive, man. I I, I always can't wait to hear like what recommendations you have or uh, what gems you've uncovered. And I honestly believe that somebody like Scream Factory or Arrow should put you on the payroll to rescue forgotten movies like these so that they, you know, they find the adoring audiences they deserve. I'm still holding a grudge against Kino Lorber for putting No Retreat, No Surrender out on Blu-ray and not letting me do a commentary track. <laughs> that was a... Because, yeah, when I, when I got that Blu-ray and, like, the, the commentary track by the guy who actually wrote the movie, it's like, he barely remembers his own film. It's like, oh, look, another long pause. No, 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 I, I would just stop. I would start talking, and I would never stop because there's so much to say about that wonderful movie. <laughs> you need to upload, like, your own commentary to it. Just put it online. Let people, like, download it so they can listen to it. You know what? If nothing else, this time next year, I mean, we already shied away from horror a little bit with episode this episode. So maybe next Thanksgiving, uh, we'll do No Retreat, No Surrender. Well, you know what? You know what? It has a supernatural quality to it. I mean, it's basically the Karate Kid, only if Mr. Miyagi was the ghost of Bruce Lee. <laughs> so, hey, it kind hey. of fits. We we had people wanting to do ghost dad as an episode one, so I figure we can we can make no retreat, no surrender happen. So, <laughs> all ghost, right, well, ghost dad. Yeah. That's, well, well, that's you know what? That, that that's kind of become a little bit of a horror for another reason altogether. <laughs> yeah, let's not go back into that dark territory again. You know, no, no, I'm ending this episode before we go any further. Thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Check out our damn YouTube show so that I can convince you why High Tension's ending is brilliant and why Scream 3 has merit. Anyway, until next time, folks, thanks so much and have a great weekend. どこ、どこ、どこが来るのか思うばっか。<笑><笑>